0: Portage Foundation, Copper Country Senior Meals, and Dial Help are now Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. We are excited to announce this new name as it marks the start of a new era in community support. Copper Shores will continue to offer the same programs, services, and opportunities as before, as well as identify and fill service gaps within the community. With a passionate team dedicated to the well-being of community members, we can move our community forward in more ways than ever before. To learn more about our vision for a more healthful community, visit coppershores.org. Good Sunday morning once again, and welcome to Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Our program is brought to you by, this is kind of new here, our program is brought to you by the Copper Shores Community Health Foundation, which is the new name of the Portage Health Foundation and a couple of uh, organizations that they have involved with them as well, Copper Country Senior Meals and Dial Help, now known as the Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. They continue to expand their services across the Copper Country. You can still learn about them at phfgive.org. It is summertime, we are out, we are active, we are fishing. We are doing lots of fishing. We're taking our boats from here to there and unfortunately may be taking with us some things that we don't want to be taking with us. We want to make sure that some invasive species that have popped up in the Copper Country don't spread to places that have not yet been infected. And so I welcome in uh, Zoe Strife and Jade Stadler from the Keweenaw Invasive Species Management Area. They are going to be doing some education across the Copper Country this summer about how we can make sure that our bodies of water stay the way that they are supposed to. Uh, Zoe, and Jade, thank you for coming in. Good morning.
1: Good morning, morning, Tom.
2: Thanks.
0: What is the Keweenaw Invasive Species Management Area?
2: So we are a management area made up of three counties in the Keweenaw. We have, well, the Keweenaw, we have Berger County, and then we have Houghton County. Um, And we manage all three counties to... Well, I should start off with it's not just aquatic species. A lot of our focus is on terrestrial species as well. Yes. But our Kisma coordinator, Sigrid Rush, hired us to um, hired us to to manage boat wash and specifically focus on focusing on those aquatic species.
0: Yeah, and we have talked about some of the other invasive species before and how they get here and the problems that they cause. But I think that our our, our waterways perhaps pose a little bit more serious a problem, because if I see a whole bunch of uh, evil knotweed sitting out (laughs) in a field someplace, I can get a few friends and maybe we can go pull it out. Mm -hmm. If I start to see it developing in a stream or in a lake, it's a lot more difficult to get to, isn't it?
1: Yes, definitely more challenging to control once it's in the waterways. So our main goal, like, as the boat wash crew, is to spread knowledge on the invasive species and how not to spread them from
0: waterway to waterway. Because once they're in, they're very, very difficult to get under control. Um, Is this a battle that can be won? I mean, it it would seem to me that at some point, something's going to slip through the cracks.
2: Absolutely, things do slip through the cracks, but that is with all invasive species. The biggest step in preventing invasives is the preventative stage and educating the public about what to look out for. But once they're established, it can, in small amounts, if found soon enough, it can be managed. It's just, you have to stick with it. You have to keep checking up on it. You have to continually just do the right thing. You can't forget about it, or you can't. You can't hide it away. You have to let people know about it.
0: We can't prevent it. We can only hope to control it, but we can hope (laughs) to control it. Yeah. So uh, Kisma, is there an organization that runs Kisma? What's your your basic foundation, and where does money for this come from?
2: So Kisma is a grant-funded foundation. Um, It is, I believe, we're government-affiliated. We're also affiliated with tech here. Yeah, Um, with Michigan Tech, I know. (laughs) But for the grant funding, specifically for Boat Wash, it comes from the... um, the U.S. Forest Service specifically, and then the U.S. Park Service here in town, right over there in Isle Royale, or not Isle Royale, but the Isle Royale headquarters over there. um, They're letting us use their boat wash van and their boat wash trailer for like the actual power washing equipment.
0: Okay, so it's going to be ramping up your efforts over the summer to try to educate people and actually in some cases help them Mm -hmm. spray down their boats and make sure that uh, they are clean before they move from one body of water to another. What are some of the most specific uh, threats that we are looking at right now in terms of invasive species coming into our waterways?
1: the, the main species that we're worried about is zebra mussels, which people may have heard of. I feel like that's a very common one to know about. Um,
0: Did that Okay, you're surprising me because I thought we were probably pretty much talking about just plants here, but you're, we're not, are we? No,
1: okay. there's also invasive mussels, zebra mussels, and then we have invasive crayfish as well. Um, not as uh, The crayfish aren't as, like, common up here but definitely in lower michigan and they could be working their way up here any day really
0: (laughs) now animals do migrate Mm -hmm. they do move naturally there are places in you know birds drop seeds and fish swim and things of that nature and and so there are ways I mean, at one point, this area was completely denuded after the glaciers left. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was nothing here. So I guess in some respect, you could consider pretty much every tree, every plant, every animal we look at as an invasive species. <laughs> what is the definition that you work with as an invasive species, something that shouldn't be here as opposed to something that uh, that should be?
2: So that's definitely something that we discuss um with people we outreach to, invasive species aren't just non-native species. Non-native species can be non-invasive. So invasive species are at their root. Um, they're very prolific. They can, if we're talking terrestrial, they can uh, they can seed a lot and they can take over and form dense mats or monocultures of the species, and that outcrowds natives. Um, And the same is true for aquatic species. So they're very aggressive. They're very aggressive and they're very adaptable.
0: And um, in many cases, I suppose, they don't have natural predators here. So once they get a foothold, they just grow out of control.
2: Right. We have an example of that. Um, Purple loosestrife, which is a a semi-aquatic invasive up here. We are introducing a beetle to it that is a (laughs) biocontrol that eats only that purple loosestrife and it's not it's not going to eradicate it it's going to make it so it plays better with the natives it creates a more equal playing ground
0: it balances it yes It balances it now is there a danger in bringing some other species in to fight the species that you don't want there are certainly historical incidents where people have brought in animal b to fight pest a and animal b became a bigger pest than pest a
1: it's definitely a concern, but that's why we do our research and make sure that we very carefully select for the correct um, species to control the invasive.
0: Yeah, I, I know that's been one of the problems with the zebra mussels that yeah. you've mm-hmm. mentioned. There's just nothing here. In Europe, There's there are animals that feast on them. Yes. In the United States, there are not. And once those zebra mussels got into the Great Lakes, it was, and it remains, a major, major problem. So, uh, so... How does this relate to me, the little fisherman with my 14-foot aluminum boat, and I'm going to put it on my trailer and maybe take it down to Bond Falls and do a little fishing on a Saturday? How does this relate to me?
2: So the biggest thing is we want to make sure that your boat is at least sterilized, the boat and the boat trailer, because a lot of um, plant material can hang on to the trailer, and if that plant material gets introduced, it can... It can seed. It can spread. Well, that's a good
0: point because it gets caught in the bumper. It gets caught oh, in the yeah, frame on the tires. Yeah, things that's of that. That's something nature.
2: that we look for when we're boat washing. Yeah. Um, another thing is the bilge system. That's how. Uh, that's how some like really small uh, invasive, like animals can be spread around, like zebra mussels. When they're not like actual in the mussel form, and when they're more of a nymph stage, they can be sucked into the bilge system, and once if that gets emptied out or that can just transport it directly into a new water body. So cleaning, completely draining your boat of all water sources, including your live well.
0: I was going to say, if I have a a live well, I want to empty that out before I leave the lake I'm in or maybe on the ground somewhere between the lake I'm in and where I'm going to be going back home.
2: It's actually the Michigan laws of 2019. Uh, You can't transport fish uh, in in water in a live well. They have to be either on ice or
0: just uh, dry. Is there a way that I can see this stuff on my, on, on my boat, or is some of this so small that I'm really not going to notice it?
1: There's definitely some that are like small enough that it's very difficult to see. but the biggest thing that like boaters can do for like protecting against invasive species is just making sure that when they like um, take their boats out of the water, that they get rid of any plant material that they can see attached to their boat.
0: Okay. So let's say I've been to Bond falls fishing and I come out and I'm not going to be fishing for another month. My boat's going to sit in my, in my yard. Do I have to worry at this point? Will stuff survive that long?
2: Uh, not typically. It's always a good idea to make sure any water is emptied out from your boat just for safe storage. But, um, if it's going to be a month, dry conditions, uh, I doubt any plant material could possibly survive, but it's also a good idea to always make sure you clean off your boat or at least clean off any visible uh debris or plant material at the boat launch because that's also another Michigan law you can't leave the boat
1: launch with plant material attached to your trailer or your boat
0: really there's a law that says you can't yeah Yeah,
1: so that's something that is very interesting I think that um, yeah fill
0: me in on these laws these are
1: laws so it's uh yeah technically a law that you can't transport any water from one water body to another so or plant material so that's why we talk about emptying your village tanks and making sure that you don't transport fish in water because obviously we're not out here, here to like enforce the law, but we don't want boaters to get like tickets. And yeah. they, you definitely can.
0: Yeah, conservation officer can yes. write yep. you up for mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. And obviously, again, it, it's for the best cause. We don't want these invasive species potentially transferred from one place to another. And if you're fishing in a couple of different lakes over mm-hmm. the weekend or something, it's how, how likely is this to happen?
1: I'd say very likely. Like, um, I mean.
2: It really depends on the boat yeah. launch and how well it's managed. Um, a lot of the attachment will come from, like, launch site itself because they're really they're really well-traveled areas they're really disturbed from people coming in and out and that's they're like a hot spot for invasive species if the launch is managed well though there won't be any invasive like reeds around reeds or other aquatic material around to attach to the boat trailer to be pulled out um but you can even attach like going through a a thick field of uh eurasian water foil it'll like tangle up in your your motor and You'll pull that out. And no one wants to be be tangled up in a dense mat of that either.
0: No, nobody wants to be tangled up in a dense mat of anything with (laughs) your boat motor, to be quite honest. Talking with Zoe Strife and Jade Stadler from the Keweenaw Invasive Species Management Area. They will be running the boat wash campaign and educational effort through the Copper Country this summer. You mentioned the quality of uh, boat launch. Who watches these boat launches and who's kind of looking out to see, "Uh uh-oh, I'm seeing such and such coming in here. We better get a crew out.
2: So a couple of boat launches up here are DNR managed, which is really good because DNR is you know, it's a it's a government funded uh, government funded source, so they can they have the resources to be able to regularly monitor their boat washes. But some of them are private owned, or city owned, or public owned. Really, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure to speak on the quality of those. We've been to a couple of them, and we didn't see any plant material on them, so they must be they must be regularly monitored.
0: Well, let's say. a that I have a, a private launch or maybe there's a neighborhood launch uh, in, on the lake that my ca- ca- cabin is on or something like that. What do I watch for and how do I make sure that I don't have a problem creeping in?
2: So a uh, big invasive species that is established up here was um, one I mentioned before, Eurasian milfoil. Those are the ones that can form a very dense mat and tangle up in your boat and no good for fishing. Uh, it can actually be really harmful for native fish habitats.
0: My guess is, if you see if that comes in, you're going to notice it be, just because of its density.
2: Sometimes, not for not for a couple couple seasons at least, because it'll Okay, it'll so it's off.
0: it's, it's going to sneak in, mm-hmm. and by the time you notice it, it may be out of control.
1: It's. Definitely, I think, important, if you're concerned about your boat launches, to go um, on the Internet. And there's lots of good resources of places you can learn about these invasive species and photos so that you can um, educate yourself on what they look
0: like. I would assume that this applies not only to boat launches, but to pretty much anybody who owns waterfront property, uh, particularly, I suppose, on the inland lakes and the streams. Yes, definitely. We've got a lot of camps, and of course, a lot of those camps get used infrequently. So it becomes a responsibility to get out there and take a look and make sure that your shoreline is is staying pure. Yeah. so to speak. So.
1: And that's like one of our main goals. Like, I mean, we're out here washing boats, helping boaters make sure they are clean before launching, but we're also just educating anybody that comes by, like giving them resources to like learn more about this so they can protect their waterfronts.
0: So suppose I had a waterfront cottage. I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is out in the Northwoods, way away from the water. But um, if, if I had waterfront property, how do I respond if I see something that looks suspicious. Is there action I can take? I know you can't just go pour a bunch of herbicides into the water.
2: (laughs) So absolutely there is a really good website. It is called Missin which is a government-run website for Michigan invasive species. Uh, They have a reporting feature and you can also report it to Kisma if it's in the Keweenaw area Um, and calling Sigrid or contacting us through our website, which we do have a Kizma website, which is very handy for um, all sorts of aquatic and terrestrial invasive species. It talks about ID, shows you what what they look like, where they might be found. Um, We can be contacted through there and we can come out and see if it is really this invasive or you can do your own research. And before pulling anything, I would definitely I definitely talked with someone before pulling anything yourself, but you can usually contact the state, the DNR sometimes maybe.
0: Because I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would assume that there's a way that this has to be approached. If you just start yanking things, you might actually spread the problem.
1: That's definitely a good point. Um, most of aquatic species that we deal with are manually manually pulled, but you have to do it in a very careful way. because. Any fragments that are left in the water will just regenerate.
0: And you don't want that happening because then you have to do it again. Yes. And that is kind of beside mm-hmm. the point here. So so let's talk about the boat itself. I take my boat. I go to the lake. I drop my boat in. I'm ready to bring my boat out. What specific te- steps should I take to make sure that my boat is safe and legal as I travel back home with it?
2: So Michigan has this... And this is kind of modeled off of Wisconsin because Wisconsin—I can't remember off the top of my head exactly their motto—but Wisconsin was one of the first people or first states to um, enact such a such a heavy regulation on boating and kind of an outreach, but we have, Michigan has the clean drain dry, where you want to clean your boat. So you want to check the bump carpets, especially a lot of aquatic bases can be on the bump carpets. You want to look all around the trailer, all around the axles, kind of starting from the bottom and go up.
0: Um, now clean how? Should I spray it down? Should I scrub it down? Is there a, a, a soap or something that I should use to make sure that I'm dislodging anything that, you know, zebra mussels that might have attached to it or anything like that?
2: We use a power washer, but, you know, not everyone has an access to a power washer. So. I was going to say, if
0: I'm, if I'm at the Bond Falls <laughs> yeah. drop-off site, yes. I doubt there's a power washer no. there.
2: Um, so if you're at the boat launch site itself... You can't really exactly clean your boat. That would kind of be when you get home, just you want to look out for anything visible, you want to make sure to empty out anything you want to make sure to take any aquatic material off of your boat. Um, and that's really uh, at the boat launch, that's really all you can do and try not to put it directly back into the water. <laughs> if you see, you know, if you pull off, um, pull off some Eurasian water mill full, try not to throw it back in, maybe leave it on the, maybe
0: leave it on the launch. Okay, so this kind of becomes a two-step process then. I'm going to do a preliminary check when I leave the lake. And then when I get home, I'm going to maybe take a little bit more care, maybe get out my little power washer or a scrub brush and some soap or something like that and scrub it down. Uh, This becomes a two-step thing.
2: Absolutely. Um, You can also use disinfectants if you want to really ensure that there's nothing living on your boat. But... Uh, Dawn dish soap, or any dish soap and a scrub brush if you don't have a power washer will be probably just fine. Our power washer that we use is very high powered and it has a boiler so it uses very hot water to completely sterilize the boat.
0: Steam those zebra mussels. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds like something you could get at the harbor house. <laughs> um, well, and, and I suppose we d- need to be careful, too, as to what kind of substances we're using for cleaning, particularly next to a lake. You don't necessarily want to put a bunch of suds into the lake either.
2: Exactly. That's yeah. why we just, use, we just use hot water.
0: Hot water and that uh, that works fairly effectively. Then, now let's talk about where and when you're going to be operating your boat washing clinics. Um, I don't have the schedule in front of me. I'm hoping you do. Yes, just, I
1: do. Good. Um, so we uh, next weekend, January or June 23rd to 25th, will be at Chassel Centennial Park. If you want to come visit us, we'd love the, to
2: see you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and then July 7th through the 9th, we'll be at South Portage Entry, and our final one that we have scheduled is July 21st to the 23rd, and we'll be at the Eagle Harbor Marina.
0: So you're all over the place. Yes. Obviously not possible to cover every boat launch or marina here in the Copper Country. We have so many of them, but it's such an important thing. We need to pay attention to this because as we mentioned earlier, once you get some of that stuff in a lake, you can spoil a fishery completely.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Have we seen any areas in the Copper Country yet that have been that badly damaged?
2: Um, not to my knowledge. The UP, especially the Copper Country, has a very is a little bit more environmentally conscious than, say, the Lower Peninsula, or at least some areas of the Lower Peninsula. Um, there's a lot more outreach that goes on, and a lot more people are concerned about preserving the natural beauty of the UP. So people tend to look out for invasives or report more regularly, even if they're not, even if they don't turn out to be invasive. Reporting just to confirm that it's not invasive
0: can sometimes- and, and, And let's face it, we are outdoor people. We tend to know more about this than a lot of the people who live downstate who may take a boat out from their house in town two or three times a year. We do tend to be a little more attuned to this here, don't we?
1: Yes, and it's definitely possible that these invasives could, in the future, like greatly affect our waterways and fishing abilities because they really impact like um, fish habitat. So if we're not careful, we could lose um, like fish species.
0: We could lose fish species and of course with uh, vegetation growing, we can lose the ability to catch fish even if they're <laughs> still living in it. Yes. And there's nothing more frustrating than casting your, <laughs> casting your bait <laughs> into a weed bed and having to deal with that all day long. That, that's no fun fishing. And so this is uh, something that, on one hand, it's uh, kind of a generic, general thing we talk about and being good for society, but for those of us who are outdoors men and women and uh, who enjoy fishing, we certainly need to consider this to be a personal thing because we don't want our fishing hole spoiled.
2: Exactly. It's a very personal thing. Um, we're trying to preserve the water, not just for the natural wildlife here, but for us to use. We want to be able to use the water safely. We want the aquatic wildlife to be able to use the water safely um, for boaters, for swimmers, especially for fishermen. Um, it's it's something that directly impacts our everyday lives.
0: And if you're looking for a financial aspect, if you own property along the waterfront, and all of a sudden you're caved in by an invasive species that no longer can be effectively removed, your property value is taken a dive too. And so there's a financial aspect for us to do this all right. So I've been talking with Zoe Streif and Jade Stadler from the Keweenaw Invasive Species Management Area. They will be out and about throughout the summer uh, educating us as to how to make sure that we don't take evil things from one body of water to another body of water. Does this uh, affect lakes more than rivers, rivers more than lakes? Is there a, a rule of thumb that you have noticed here?
2: Um, no rule of thumb other than whichever area is most traveled. If it's, say, a, not a very well-traveled river, then it might not have as many invasives because people aren't there to disturb the area, to bring them in, but people might not be there to manage either. So it can really be a toss-up. But typically more traversed areas, areas that are more disturbed, even areas that can be disturbed by natural events, like a natural disaster, can get invasives. Um
0: And I assume that there are some times in which these do move naturally a bird picks up a seed and drops it into a lake that uh, has never been invaded by one of us before and you still have the problems so even if it's an area that doesn't get a lot of traffic it doesn't preclude there being an invasive operating
1: yeah it's definitely still possible possible for them to move around on their own and a lot of times they move through the water themselves they can fragment and then those little pieces of plant will create a whole new plant
0: so if it's in lake a and there's a little stream that runs mm-hmm. from lake a to lake b pretty soon lake b has it and lake c has it and then the sturgeon river has it and we got yes. a problem
2: <laughs> that's why we're that's why the prevention phase that we're in is so critical to the process we're trying to prevent it from getting to lake a and that or we're trying to prevent it from really getting to Lake b maybe trying to contain it to Lake a and then hopefully it never sees the sturgeon river
0: and uh, it's something that's just so important, so critically important to keeping our quality of life here in the Upper Peninsula to make sure that these invasive species don't get a foothold. Let's run down uh, as we wrap things up here again. If people want to find out more about this issue, how are the best ways, what are the best ways they can pursue that?
2: So definitely looking at Michigan websites, uh, Michigan dot, Michigan.gov dot invasive species that will tell you a lot of, a lot about invasive species that are on the watch list. Uh, They tell you about which parts of Michigan they're established, the Misson website I also mentioned is another government-owned website that can be very important, and our very own Kisma website also tells you about the invasives that can be found in this area and what invasives that we personally manage and how to ID them.
0: And I would suggest that if you see something and you're suspicious, please go ahead and make the report. We'd rather find out that you're that you're mistaken mm-hmm. than find out that uh, you could have reported something and it didn't get checked in. So please, please take action on that. Uh, Zoe and Jade, thank you so much. Good luck with your efforts mm-hmm. this summer across the Copper Country. Thank, thank you. you so much for having <laughs> us. Copper Country Today continues in a moment.